All right, wonderful. So uh, we're going to dive in. I know not everyone has, this is a weird thing to talk about in, in July, but I know not everybody has a background of Halloween trick-or-treating, but many of you, I'm guessing, fall into one of three categories. Either you've served candy at houses, uh, you've been parents that have taken kids around, or perhaps you were once a child. So most of you fall into one of those categories. <sighs> Did you say thanks? Is a phrase most of us have heard, either on Halloween night, which was the time that most of us heard it the most, but throughout our lives as children, and I believe all of us were children. Did you remember to say thank you? Over and over again, this is what we do with young people to make sure that they are what? Like, polite, grateful, everything like that. And, and under the unspoken commentar commentary often is like, be grateful, dang it, right? Um, and, and before we know it, before we know it, our entire lives have been wrapped up in learning to say thanks and understand thanks primarily in the realm of politeness. What a tragedy. And so what I want to dive into is we're doing this, this kind of fun three-week hit. Um, there's a book by Anne Lamott called Help Thanks Wow. And uh, it's, it's a book about prayer. And Instead of just diving into those, that, that angle, we've decided to take these three words and say, if we lean into these three very central words in our lives, how could they impact the way that we relate to God, the way we understand Jesus and grow in our connection with Jesus, and how could it change and impact the way we relate to one another? This is directly out of the calling where Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and to put these things together is what discipleship is, all right? And so, so we're looking and just having some fun by exploring one word each week, just for three weeks. And so um, last week we talked about help and the challenge of both being vulnerable and crying out to God and trusting God in our desperation, but also how to relate to one another by being willing to say, I need help sometimes and why that's hard. And so, um, so this week we are, we're going to just lean into uh, thanks just a bit. I mentioned the idea just a moment ago as what we're supposed to do because it's polite. Now, if we have that undergirding uh, reality in our heads from growing up, we tend to see certain scripture passages through that lens and through that light. So there's passages like 1 Thessalonians when Paul is writing to a church, a local church. He's kind of wrapping up his comments and he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's often linked to a passage like Romans 8, where Paul's writing, he says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So, so we, we kind of think, well, the idea is, listen, first of all, be grateful, dang it, right? Be grateful all the time. And then second, because it's all good, like whatever's happening in your life is what God's doing, so you're supposed to thank God for it, even if it's the cancer. Which brings us into a very, very difficult relationship with trying to be polite before God. Because we're not thankful for it, and deep down we're not sure why we should be. But the Bible says, be thankful all the time. I want to explore, first of all, let's just call this out as poor theology. But just, just, for, um, just so that we know, when we see Jesus encountering evil, sickness, poverty, despair all the time, he works to heal it and to cleanse and to make whole. 
So we know what the will of God is, and it's not to bring harm your way. So any theology that eventually leads us to, to God being the author of evil, the author of hardship in our life, giving you cancer so that you'll learn to be more patient, no, no go. Um, violence, hardship, they break God's heart. God, God is with us. God, Jesus weeps. Okay, so... That's a little freebie off to the side. The second thing is that when we see this, this idea of, okay, well, I'm just supposed to be thankful. I guess I'm just, I, I want to be faithful to God, so I guess God tells me be thankful all the time, and I will just, I'll try. And, and when we put it in this, this way of you're supposed to do this because that's what good Christians do, so kind of shut up and be thankful, um, without realizing it, we see this command um, as something like that God needs us to do to be good. And so I want to invite us to see the invitation that is so consistent through in the scriptures toward giving thanks, toward gratitude, possibly not as something God needs us to do, but the, something that God wants for us to thrive. There are times that we are told to do things because there's something that happens within us to benefit us. So if I, I'm both a coach a father of runners, and a runner myself. And, and if I know that my boys are getting ready to go out for a long run, and I know it's going to be 90 degrees the next day, I will tell them, listen, drink lots of water today. It doesn't matter if you feel like drinking water. Drink lots of water. And the reason I'm telling them to drink lots of water, even if they don't particularly feel like it at that moment, is because it will do them so much good later when the time comes that it's necessary. Okay, and so, so what I want to invite you to think about is not doing something, I don't ask my boys to drink water before, you know, the day before they're doing a major run so that they make me happy, so that they're polite to me, so they do the right thing. I do it so that it will go well for them. I do it because that, that'll help them thrive. When we start to reframe this and understand that rather than some, a stern commandment, it is an invitation from a loving parent towards something that can help us thrive in new ways, we begin to see this not as something that maybe makes us feel bad and guilty all the time. Whoop, not yet. That was my fault. Um, not feel guilty all the time, but something that is truly a benefit. And, and this is what we're learning about gratitude. And then we're going to switch gears. But I want to tell you that there is so much science and and social studies that are developing that, that are helping us understand the power of maybe why this is so central in the, in the scriptures. Excuse me. The benefits are astounding. Two quick social and scientific studies. The first is, um, and this happened a while ago. This is probably 25 years ago. Two professors from the University of Miami and the University of California did a story, or did a study, I'm sorry, where they asked people to write down five things that they were grateful for in a sentence every day for, um, let me look, I think it was uh, for two months, yeah. So every day, they wrote down five sentences. It took about three minutes. I'm thankful for blank. Five different things, five simple sentences, every day for two months. And then they had a control group who didn't do any of that, all right? And then they did a, a comprehensive analysis of life situation and health and everything on the other side. What they found was fascinating. The gratitude group at the end of the study, they were measurably more optimistic and happy, they slept better. They chose to exercise more. They chose to go out and exercise in healthier ways. Um, they had less physical problems, less visits to the doctor for unwell visits. Um, 
They, like I said, they fell asleep faster and longer. They reported waking up more refreshed. These were all marked differences between these two groups. So, you know, if, like, start a gratitude journal and change your life <laughs> is kind of the thing. There is this crazy benefit to our bodies from moving into that. And, and second, I want to talk about brain and body science for just a little bit, and then we'll get into the spiritual side. This is always a little scary to talk about these things when uh, my father is visiting as an exercise physiologist. So uh, feel free to correct me, uh, Dad, but preferably after this. Uh, so here's the thing. The brain cannot respond to gratitude and anxiety at the same time. So we, we have these two ways that our brain functions. One is the sympathetic system and one is the parasympathetic system. All right? The sympathetic system is what we call fight or flight. All right? So when, when the sympathetic uh, system is engaged, when our brain is firing in this mode, it's called the stress mode, that is when we are prepared to get things done or to be at on, on guard. So if you have a trigger for some trauma, you all of a sudden move into sympathetic mode real fast. If you are getting ready for a race or um, cheering at, at a, a game or something, any time where your, your senses are more alert, um, that is the sympathetic mode. Now, that really wears you down if you do too much of that. So the other part of the body, or the other part of the brain function, uh, is the parasympathetic, and the parasympathetic is often called the rest and digest mode. That is when your body is at peace and it can begin to restore itself and repair the results of effort and stress on the body. Okay, um, so we've got the fight or flight, the calm center on one side and the stress center on the other, and, and, um, and they both can't function at the same time. And do you know what? The practice of gratitude scientifically stimulates the parasympathetic system. And so when you choose to dwell on things that are good, beautiful, and beneficial, all of a sudden your body moves into a state of rest and repair. And stress's harm cannot act when you are in that mode. Isn't that interesting? So it's one or the other. So, so the choice to, to move toward gratitude literally halts the process of stress on the human body, at least temporarily, if it's true gratitude. So there are ways that we have been, have been formed that move us toward the power of living with gratitude and, and thanks as a foundation for us. So maybe Paul's instructions here are a survival tool to help his fellow disciples in times where despair or doubt or anxiety or jealousy threaten to paralyze us. And he's saying, don't ever stop noticing good and beauty that is available to be claimed because God always provides good and beauty to be claimed. God always has some goodness available to us. So it leads to a better, healthier life in a very real way. But that's not the only thing it leads us to. Um, Jesus participates in a living story in Luke 17. And I'm calling it living, living story because I'm... I don't know. I don't know if it's helpful or not. But in my mind, a living story is when Jesus, when it's a story that is in the scriptures, in the, in the uh, gospels, that Jesus actually does, participates in, but it's also intended to be a teaching tool, right? So sometimes Jesus tells parables to teach people, and sometimes Jesus lives parables to teach people. And so this is one of those moments where there's a story um, that happens that we're supposed to learn from, but it actually happened in the life of Jesus. Um, and, and so here's, here's what we get. Um, so... So we're going to go through it. This, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, and it says that Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, this was not always the way that people went. Often people avoided um, Samaria because there was a lot of tension between Samaria and, and Israel. 
because Samaritans were half Jewish and that meant that they were unclean and so there was all this animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, This is not a surprise if you've been around at all, right? Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan was intentionally telling the story about a hero who was the enemy of everybody else to remind them of their dehumanization. Okay, so anyways, Jesus typically took the path on the edges of Samaria because he liked to interact with outsiders and he liked to redefine things for people. So he's traveling down here and as he was going to a village, there were 10 men with leprosy who met him. Now they were living in a leprosy colony because if you had leprosy, it was a skin condition, you had to be removed from everybody else uh, because it was understood as contagious. Now we're not going to get into that. We've talked about leprosy and what it does to the body. Super interesting. Uh, incredibly powerful that Jesus touches lepers and brings back feeling in the numbness of the nerves and all this stuff. But anyways, these, these lepers had heard about Jesus at some point, and they stand at a distance and cry out for mercy. And they say, Master, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have mercy. Show us mercy. There was faith there that they believed that Jesus could do something about it. Who knows? Did they expect that Jesus would heal them? Maybe they had heard about healings. Um, maybe he thought that Uh, maybe they thought that Jesus could advocate for them because he seemed to be gaining influence. We don't know, but I expect that that they thought he might be able to heal them. And when Jesus sees them, as he does every single time he encounters a cry for mercy, can we just remember that? Every single time someone says help to Jesus, the response is consistent. Every single time. And so he looks at them and he says, go, show yourselves to the priests. Now what he was doing when he says this was saying, Listen, the only way that you can re-enter your society is if a priest clears you, okay? So these people have been cut off from their family, from their friends. They are dealing with a physical ailment. So there is all sorts of healing that's happening when Jesus says this, okay? But he's saying, go, do the thing that will help you be restored to your community, restored personally in your body and and to your family. Um, And as they went, they were cleansed. This beautiful moment, group healing, Jesus says, go, and they all say, okay, we will listen. And as they're walking, they look down, and all of the spots on their skin begin to clear up. And their fingers, they start to begin to have the sense of feeling once again. Can you imagine regaining feeling after losing the ability to feel, to have any sensitivity? So it's this beautiful moment. And as they go, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed... Okay, when he saw he was healed, here's what happens. Um, He comes back, praising God in a loud voice. He throws himself, threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Dun, dun, dun. We don't know if they all were Samaritans. I expect they weren't. I expect that this group had probably found he was on the borderland. So I expect this group was probably a mixture of Jewish people and Samaritans. Or maybe he was the only one. Or maybe it all was all of them. We don't know. All we know is that this guy who turned around and came back was an outsider, a Samaritan. And here's what he says. Um, Jesus looks at him, and he says, weren't all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise except this foreigner? And yes, I'm totally giving tone to Jesus because we have to figure that out. But this is what I think. I think if if you think that Jesus is, like, annoyed that people don't thank him, then there's a whole lot of stories where he doesn't seem to like chase after people and be like, yo, did you say thank you? 
It just doesn't seem like the posture of Jesus. So I, 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 don't think, I, I don't think that our goal is to read into how annoyed Jesus is about the other nine. I think our goal here is to lean into the interaction of the one. All right. And if, if you want to, you know, give motive to the other nine who probably were maybe incredibly excited to go see their family for the first time, um, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to pass judgment on those guys. Um, but but here's, here's what we see. We're not all nine cleansed. Where are the, or we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. All right. So there is a lot here. The story draws attention to two really important themes in Luke. The first one is Jesus' care for the marginalized people. One of them here, undoubtedly, maybe more, was doubly marginalized as both a leper and a Samaritan. Jesus brings the story out, right? Um, and then the second is obviously the response to Jesus of, of faithful recognition and gratitude. What I, what I want to do and, and point out, um, because I just want to keep this, this focused, because like I said, we can, we can wonder why the others didn't come back and we can't answer that question. Um, we realize that this one man when he realized what had been gained in his life, he could not help but turn back and go and find the one who had been so generous. I often think about why we're not maybe always drawn to gratitude to God. Like, why, why maybe for some of us that's a real practice and not a natural outflow. Um, I know there's times in my life where being drawn to gratitude to God has not come easily or naturally in any way. And perhaps, as one um, Franciscan monk said of this story, perhaps we forget the sacrament of poverty. And what he means by that is that the Samaritan leper had been doubly suffering, marginalized two ways. And when a moment came for his experience of wholeness and restoration, he could not help but offer deep gratitude. He knew what he had gained because he understood loss. He understood loss more deeply than most. It's possible that sometimes maybe we are so comfortable in our lives that we've lost the desperate need for God's goodness and provision. Um, far beyond materials, although that plays a part. But a sacrament of poverty, according to um, the Franciscans, is believing that everything that exists in this world belongs to God. All of it. The goodness of the earth all that is in it, it is all a gift from God. And when we realize our utter dependency, that apart from God, we have so little. Apart from God's goodness, we have nothing. Then gratitude has an opportunity to really transform us and move us toward God. And that's what I want to lean into. I want to lean into connection. Gratitude in this moment, in this little story here, it creates movement for this Samaritan toward connection with Jesus, all right? And the connection leads to a whole new layer of wholeness. So I want us to maybe, just for a moment, I want us to consider gratitude. I did not leave enough room there. I want us to consider gratitude instead of politeness or kindness even as the gateway to connection. Um, when we are told that the, all of them are healed. Uh, the word there in, in the book of Luke, the word for healed means physically restored, okay? 
Uh, but when this guy comes back and talks to Jesus and he says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. That word well, sozo, is a totally different word than healed. So the, the, the ten were healed and, and restored physically and, and even socially. But made you well, that word is also the word for whole. So, so, so ten were healed, but one was, was hold. W-H-O-L-E. And, and, and what we see is that there's a difference between being healed and being made whole, possibly. At least I think that there's worth here. When the experience of goodness brings us back into connection and right relationship with the giver of the goodness, then we experience wholeness on a new level because it's coming in connection with God. And so there's, there's beauty here because connection is always transformative. All right? So, so his experience was not just the goodness of being healed that he wanted to say thank you for. It was an opportunity to move further toward relationship and connection with Jesus, of which there was only minimal up until that point. Um, we are committed as a church, like I mentioned when I, when I welcomed you all, we're committed as a church and as a people to be constantly moving toward Jesus at our center, placing more importance on moving toward Jesus than on trying to figure out who's in and who's out. Okay? And a lot of energy has been expended on that. But as a people who are movement-oriented, posture-oriented, where we say, if you are desiring to explore, to get to know, to understand Jesus and the way of love more and more, then come and join us on this journey. That is all about movement and connection. And gratitude, we are learning, is one of the means that helps us move toward Jesus. It's just one avenue that helps us move toward connection with God, and as we'll see in a second, with others. And so, so connection is always, always transformative. And in this little moment, the, the movement of gratitude moves him back toward connection with Jesus, and Jesus says in his interaction with this man, you're being made whole. You're being, your faith has made you well. The, the, the desire... This, this part of this thing, it's, it's a different layer that's happening because of this connection. And so, so connection is always transformative, but not just in our relationship with God. So we've talked about that. And, and um, when we understand that connection is transformative, maybe we can let that move us toward and instruct us toward how we receive and offer gratitude to each other as well. Um, so that it too can actually become transformative on both sides. Uh, what if, just like this leper, in our lives, in our church community, what if gratitude uh, was a primary opportunity not to be polite or even kind? Those things are fine and good. But what if gratitude was primarily an opportunity to move us toward deeper connection with each other? Um, and we know the deepest connection comes when people feel seen and known, right? If you feel seen, like someone like sees me for who I actually am, we talked about that last week with vulnerability and the cry for help, that if we, if we aren't vulnerable with one another, we can't actually be sure we're actually loved, right? Because it's always like, well, if you knew who I really was. And so, so in that light, in the same, in the same vein, um, often our ways of giving and receiving gratitude, they ignore the opportunity to be seen and to really see. Because what we do is we, we focus on the act and the action. And that's well and good, but we have an opportunity to peel it back further. I want to invite you to learn to express gratitude and receive gratitude for who someone is more than what they do. 
okay? Um, if we learn to speak to the realities behind the action that impacted us, we often find that connection becomes, like, it skyrockets, all right? So what, is the, what does the action reveal about that person? Name that. You know, when, when you wrote me that note, um, that, was, that was so impactful to me. I could see the kindness of your spirit in that moment. That's different than saying thanks for your note. Do you catch that? Because you use the action that impacted you and you let it help you recognize what of God in them was being expressed at that time. And so, so we do this with God often. We talk about not, not you know, focusing on the gift but leaning into the giver. And I think for people, Bethany and I were talking about this yesterday evening, um, it's easier sometimes in our relationship with God to move to character, right? I mean, didn't we just, uh, what was the first song we sang? Lord, you are good and your mercy is Um We worship you for who you are, right? For who you are. That's all about character, not just for what you've done. The Psalms are full of people saying, here's what you've done for me, but then it quickly transitions to, because here's what you are, because you are steadfast, and you are always loving, and you are faithful, and you are merciful, and you are kind, and you are forgiving. Those are all character things. What if, when we learn to express gratitude, we didn't just say thanks for that moment, but thanks for who you are that that moment revealed? Because then we see people, and when people feel seen, connection goes crazy. They say, wow, you recognize that in me. Huh. And maybe all of a sudden God has a chance to do something in both directions, um, which by the way, leads us to, oh, no, let me, let me give you a real-life example. I was on the phone with the IRS this week, as you know, I am all the time. Not really at all. Um, but my, the person who does my taxes, they caught something a couple years ago that, wanted, that they needed to do an amendment for. So I was waiting on this return, and then it said it was delayed, so I was supposed to call. So I'm talking with this woman. I said, hey, can you look this up? Let me know if I need to do anything. And she looked it up. Um, she was very, very helpful. And uh, it's the number that you call when unamended return hasn't happened in the right time frame. And so she helps me out. She says, there's nothing wrong, nothing you have to do. Check back in a month. Okay, cool. And I said, you know, I really appreciate the kindness that you're showing because you must deal with people that are frustrated like all day long. And I can hear kindness in you. So thank you so much. And do you know what happened in that moment? The entire experience just changed because all of a sudden you got two humans connecting instead of, instead of a transaction. So you move from, you know, thanks for your help, transactional gratitude, all of a sudden to transformational gratitude because you recognize the character behind it. There's something unbelievable that happens when you can recognize these things and call them out. And, and it, it's, it's beautiful, right? Acknowledging character moves us from transactional gratitude to transformational gratitude. Um, and, and when we do that, when we name that, we build up and we speak life into one another and in all these profoundly beautiful ways, where do we see God's image? Where do we see the beauty of God in one another? Let me name it. And that leads to the next thing and kind of the thing that we'll finish with. And that is uh, when we express gratitude for the character seen in one another, it's, it's harder to blow off than that was nothing. Which is, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, that's a bad response. I don't want to offend. That's a bad response to someone's gratitude. And, and we need to talk about how we receive gratitude. When we play, when we downplay someone's gratitude, all right, or even quickly, here we go, 
or even quickly deflect it to God. All glory to God. I know the heart behind that phrase, but listen to me very, very carefully. Someone is trying to give you a gift, and you're saying, ah, I don't really need that. Now, there's a difference between being prideful in the way we, we receive, for sure. But listen, if we are going to be seen, that, that's saying, oh, you're not seeing me at all. They are seeing you. They're seeing God in you. They're seeing God too, but they're seeing both, and they're recognizing that. And if we deflect that too much, we miss the chance to say, oh my gosh, maybe God wired me for this. Wow, this is, I got to do, do this more. And, and so, so we have to learn how to receive, um, how to cherish the gratitude that, that someone wants to give us, letting it move us toward deeper connection, not pride, um, but we might miss what God wants to reveal to us in the moment about our gifts and our role in the kingdom. Um, it is gratitude and receiving gratitude is an opportunity for God and other disciples to affirm your gifts, Okay? Um, don't, don't minimize it by saying, well, ah, I'm not that great. We know. We know you're not that great. None of us are that great. Like, we know. It's okay. We're not, like, really, you are a perfect person. Nobody says that because we all know humanity. So don't act like that's what someone's trying to say. They're not. They're trying to say, you were amazing in that moment. You're so, that was so kind and so loving. There's some of that in you, even if you're like, and... What was it, Sabrina? Oh, you should talk to my spouse. That's a classic disclaimer. Oh, you should ask my spouse. Come on, friends. Like, I know, I know what we're getting at, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it misses what could be. Yeah. It misses what could be, all right? So don't, don't feel all judged. Um, but but we, we are notoriously bad at receiving gratitude. Look, look someone in the eyes when they say thank you and, and, and say something Say something like this. You're welcome. I appreciate you saying that. Wow. How encouraging. You're recognizing the gift when you say that. I love this. It delights me to know that God used me there. That's not divorcing yourself from God or the work that God might have used you for. It's the opposite. It delights me to know that God used me in that moment. Wow. Like, what a gift you just gave me. Thank you for sharing that. And when we do that, we allow ourselves to be seen. We allow the giver to have the opportunity to actually give a gift and have it be held well. And all of a sudden, I'm telling you, all of a sudden, number one, your connection with people is going to grow, all right? That's going to happen. Number two, how cool is this? You might start to begin to realize how God has made you in new ways. And number three, ready? You're going to turn around as we grow and as we mature as disciples, and you're going to say, wow, thank you, Lord, for that moment of encouragement. And all of a sudden, you're giving gratitude to God, and the circle is complete. <laughs> you, you, there's so much beauty in creating. What we're talking about here is creating a culture of affirmation. And, and, and again, uh, I don't know who said this, but it's great. I just don't want you to think I did. Um, if you can't find anything to affirm in another person, the problem is not with them. Okay? Like, like yeah, like, there's just so much. And it doesn't mean that we, that we brush over. I'm not talking about conflict. That's a different conversation. But we, we should be able to look at people and say, wow, I am really grateful for the way God has 
made them, or I can see God's gifts in them, and when the opportunities come, or maybe we need to make opportunities, catch people doing things right instead of catching people doing things wrong all the time, and call it out, and call out the character that we see in there. And here's the thing. If you hear somebody say, wow, that, that moment, you were so kind. Thank you. And, and deep down, I'm thinking, I'm not that kind. You know what it can move us to? But I was in that moment. I'm capable of it. And that was really, really, that made me feel good to receive that. So I want to do that more. <laughs> like we speak, we speak the truth that maybe is only partial into one another. And it's beautiful. So I, I want to encourage you toward all of that. It is possible to delight in someone's gratitude um, without letting it puff up your pride. We just have to be grounded in Jesus. Um, And instead of making you think that you're better than everybody, um, it can lead to, isn't this amazing that God is working through me even in small ways? Isn't that cool? Isn't that delightful? Thanks, Lord. 